study through the Psalms. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Psalm 16. Psalms just continue. I know I, I, I read through them not just to study, but uh, to allow God to minister to my heart through them. And um, there's so many Psalms that just um, minister to what, whatever we're going through. You know, David seemed to uh, go through every single thing that that uh, that we go through as as uh, humans. And he's, he seemed to have penned everything. And um, I love that about the Psalms. So if you're there in Psalm 16, Psalm 16 expresses the hope of those who know God and the victory of Jesus our Messiah over death. Now, the hope that we have can only be there because we know that Jesus is victorious over death. Our hope comes from what Jesus did on the cross and ultimately rising from the dead. He was victorious over that. We don't have really any hope. We, the Bible says that we don't sorrow as those who have no hope, but we have a hope. Our hope is in what Jesus did for us and knowing that that uh, God will make all things right. So in Psalm uh, 16, I'll read through it and then we'll study it. A mitchum or a mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows should be, shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, in the title there, the word mictum, we don't really know what that is. It's, uh, there's a lot of conjecture about it. So, uh, rather than um, add to the conjecture, I'll just say that we, we really don't know what it means. So, it's a mictum, whatever that means. It's used in six titles of six psalms. And... Um, and it, it's, it's funny how they use words, and sometimes we just don't have a translation for it. But in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. 
Preserve me, O God. David states his trust in God for his protection, and he prays for God to be his shelter. Again, something that we can directly relate to. Preserve me, O God. Whatever we're going through, we ask for God's preservation through it, not necessarily him removing us from it. And that's sometimes the perspective that we don't get. David is not asking necessarily for God to remove him from whatever he's going through, but to preserve him through it. And maybe it's, it's through those things that we go through that God teaches us. O oh, my soul, verse 2, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Now David states that anything good in him comes from God. Anything that's good in us at all comes from God. That's something that we need to recognize and admit. Because in Romans 7.18, Paul writes, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. So Paul's, Paul tells us right there that in, our, in and of ourselves, there is nothing good. The only good that we have is what God gives us. So David says, my goodness is nothing apart from you. Apart from God, we have no goodness in us. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after other gods. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. So now David's pledging his separation from those who don't honor the Lord. And we can learn from this what David is saying here, that we need to keep ourselves separate from those who would influence us against the things of God. See, there's nothing wrong with, with uh, not, you know, the Bible says that, uh, that, you know, that we shouldn't be, have, have those relationships with people who are wicked, who are evil. That we shouldn't be unequally yoked. And it's not only in, in marriage, but it's in other relationships too. So David's saying here that it's okay to be separate from the things, from the people in this world that are wicked. Not even to take their name on his lips, he says. They shouldn't be influencing us. If anything, if we can have an influence, because we are in this world, we shouldn't be of it, but we are in it, and we, we work, and we live, and we have relatives and friends who, who, who don't know the Lord. If anything, we should be influencing them for the things of God. And then in verse 5, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. These verses describe the blessings of God. And the fact that our true riches don't come from earthly things, but from what the Lord can give us. Our inheritance in Jesus is better than any earthly inheritance that we can receive. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand 
I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. David speaking such, uh, such hopeful words here. The Lord's counsel, he writes, is better than who has... He says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. The Lord's counsel is the best counsel. You know, we can counsel each other. We can minister to one another. We can use the Word of God. And, and, and we can sort of direct people and help people, um, you know, to find their way. But really, the Lord's counsel is the best. Once we recognize that God's counsel is always best, we can rest in that. And that's what we should do. And then we can follow its lead. You know, I've heard it said that uh, if, if everyone uh, who attended a church attended regularly and really listened from the teachings, from the Word, and, and took notes and applied them to their lives, then we really wouldn't need counseling sessions. You just take the Word of God because He's the best counselor. And you just apply it to your lives. And then David glorifies God with his whole being. In verse 7, it says, um, My heart instructs me. That word for heart is literally kidneys, or my, my, the deepest part of my being. And then he says, um, and then he says in verse 9, My heart and my flesh. So David is saying his whole being is glorifying God for who he is. Then in verse 10, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And this is, uh, this is a messianic portion of this psalm. David is prophesying here regarding Jesus' resurrection. This verse uh, it, it's David expressing confidence not only in his own resurrection and in and eternity with God, but he's also applying that toward the coming King, Jesus. He has that confidence. Then he gives us perspective on life. First, God guides us through this walk. He says, you will show me the path of life. Then he gives us joy because of his presence. And that's where our true joy comes from. It comes from the presence of God in our lives. Jesus said in, in John 10, 10, that I have come to give you abundant life. And that's where our true joy comes from because God is in our lives. He's present. And lastly, David expresses the fullness of eternal pleasures. And we can gain perspective from these verses. You know, God will guide us through this walk and we'll have joy in the midst of no matter what we're going through because He's present in our lives. God is part of who we are. And then, of course, the fullness, the pleasures forevermore are eternity with Jesus face to face. Psalm 17. Psalm 17 is a prayer. It states it in the title. And for the most part, it's a prayer for protection. And I love how David David's appeal in this psalm is multifaceted. So we'll see as we go through it. A prayer of David, verse 1. Hear a just cause, O Lord, and attend to my cry. 
Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips I have kept away from the paths of the destroyed. Uphold my steps in your path, and uphold my steps in your path, that my footsteps may not slip. I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you, from those who rise up against them, keep me, I love this verse, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings, from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. They have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouths they speak proudly. David doesn't mince words. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to earth as a lion is eager to tear his prey, and like a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down, Deliver my life from the wicked one. This is a petition. This is, this is real prayer. Deliver my life from the wicked one with your sword, with your hand from men, O Lord, from, men of the, from the men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possessions for their babes. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. It almost requires no comment, this, this psalm, but it is a prayer of David. And in verses 1 through 5, it's a plea for God to hear David's prayer and to respond. And he's expressing his righteous actions before God, the righteous judge, and it's, it almost sounds like boasting. But he says, my prayer isn't from deceitful lips. And we need to be honest with God, even in our times of prayer. Because I think sometimes our prayer times can, we can even be deceitful in our prayer. And that's a, that's a hard word, but maybe our prayers, maybe the motives of our prayers may not be right. I think David can teach us something. But David also says here that his righteous actions are dependent solely on God's grace, not on his own righteousness. In verses 6 and 7, he writes, I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Again, David's confidence in God is expressed in these verses. And just an accompanying verse to this, Romans 8.31, where Paul writes, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, that perspective. And then verse 8, and... Uh, Following, it says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me. David continues to pray for God to be attentive to him. 
And we can pray that same way. The apple of God's eye, literally the pupil or the center of God's eye. It's a prayer for God not to forget us when life tries to bring us down or wicked people try to get the best of us. It speaks of being in the center of God's goodness and grace. And he writes there in verse 13, Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword, with, with your hand from men, in verse 14, O Lord, from men of this world who have their portion in this life. See, the wicked have their portion in this life. Their reward is here on earth. But as for me, in verse 15, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Our portion is eternity with Jesus. Which would you rather have? I know who I'd rather have. No matter what we have in this life, the, poor, the greater portion is eternity with the Lord. Now that's the perspective that we need to have. Psalm 18. Psalm 18 actually is nearly identical to 2 Samuel 22. So I'll just do a brief uh, study on this, but I'll save it for Pastor Joe when he gets to 2 Samuel. Um, it's a psalm. It's a psalm of praise. It focuses on the deliverance of David from all of his en enemies. So he records it here, and it's also recorded in 2 Samuel 22, identical. So we'll go through uh, briefly here in verses 1 through 5. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this psalm on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So we have this scene pretty well set there. And he said... I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surround me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. David shows us here, it's a, it's a good idea sometimes to record our praises to God. Sometimes, you know, take notes, have a little journal. And when he's, when he's delivered us from some catastrophe in our life or through it, and we get to the other side and we see what he's doing in our lives through that to maybe jot those things down. David expresses here several names and descriptions for, for God. In verse 1 he calls him his strength. Verse 2 is rock, his fortress, his deliverer, his strength, his shield, his horn, his stronghold. You know, sometimes you, you can't you can't get enough words to describe what God is to, to you, what He means to you, what He's doing in your life. And I love that. David just keeps going. You're my, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, 
my shield, my horn. But David's honest with his worries. It says here, The pangs of death surround me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. It's okay to express to God your fear. Let Him know that there are things that are going on. Be honest with God. See, David's fearful of dying here. He mentions death, or some aspect of death, three times in two verses. So he's, burning, he's being pursued. He's being threatened. And he's afraid. And he's expressing that to God. So this is real, real down-to-earth human stuff. Verses 6 through 15. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my name and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundation of the hills, hills also quaked and were shaken, because he was angry. Smoke went, went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also, and he came down with darkness under his feet, and he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven. Can you see the scene? And the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, he set out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were uncovered, at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of, your, of the breath of your nostrils. Quite descriptive imagery David uses to get his point across. He's really just speaking of the majesty, the power the awesomeness of God in these verses. And he's also speaking of the fact that no enemy that David was facing, no enemy that we face compares to the supremacy and the authority and the power of God. And then in verses 16 through 19, it says, He sent from above, He took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy. So now God uses his authority, his supremacy, and his power to deliver David. From those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. See, God, we, we can't face the enemy alone. We can't face the trials in our life alone. They're too strong for us. I need you, God. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. He delighted in me, David says. Not because David was so delightful, or, maybe, or because we're so lovable, but it's God's character, it's his nature. And I love how the imagery here, in the previous verses, it was sort of a widescreen image of God's awesome power, the thunderings, the lightnings, the hailstones, the coals of fire. You can just see this whole scene unfolding. 
you know, in, in 3D, on a wide screen with, with God's power. And then he just, now he shifts to a focused view of dealing directly with David. And I love that about God. You know, we can see his awesome power, but then he relates to us individually. David personalizes God's awesome power so that he can relate to him one-on-one. -on -one. And then in verses 20 through 24, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, have not wickedly departed from my God, for all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. So now David, as he's shifting back and forth in these verses, between recognizing his ability to please God, because he was obedient to his word, and acknowledging the fact that God empowered David to live a godly life. You see, we can recognize the fact that we are walking righteously before God, and it, and it won't be boastful, because we give the glory over to Him. We say, God, it's You who's empowered me, it's You who's allowed me, it's by Your Spirit that I can walk Godly. So we should never boast in our own capacity to live godly lives without giving God the glory for it. In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, God. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. See, it's in the knowledge of God, and it's in the knowledge of His Word that we boast. And then, uh, following to verses 25 through 36. With the merciful you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble people, but will bring down the haughty looks. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you, I can run against the troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. See, he's given God the glory. He's given God the credit. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He's a shield to all who trust in Him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze you have also given me the shield of your salvation. See, David has just covered all the bases here. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. See, it's not... I love that. Your gentleness has made me great. 
You have enlarged my path under me, set me on solid foundation, so my feet did not slip. This, for these verses give God all the glory, give Him all the credit. See, God will respond to us, it says in the beginning of this, these verses, as, as how, how we respond to Him. Mercy for mercy, blamelessness for blamelessness, purity for purity. I love that. We're pure with God, He'll be pure with us. We're merciful, God will be merciful. We're blameless before Him, He will be blameless. See, the humble will bring God's blessings and protection where the proud won't. If we trust in God, He'll protect us. See, see how that works. We have, a, we have a role to play. And then in verses 37 to 48, I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn back again until they were destroyed. I have wounded them so they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under, those, under me those who rise up against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save. See the difference? David cries out, the Lord responds. The wicked, the enemies of David cry out, there's none to save. Even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. But you see, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. It's their sin, the Bible says, that separates them from God. That he won't even hear their cries. Then I beat them as fine dust before the wind. I cast them out like dirt in the streets. You have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of the nations. As people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and they come, then come frightened from their hideouts. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It's like the songs that we sing. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O God, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. So David's just saying, God, you are so good to me. You have given me victory. You have sustained me. You have protected me, God. You are so awesome. I give you all the glory, God. And then in Psalm 19. Now Psalm 19 uh, can be divided into three parts. And it's all about the revelation of God. In other words, it's, it's all about God being revealed in different ways. Verses 1 through 6, we see God revealed in His creation. Verses 7 through 11, we see God revealed in His Word, in His commandments. And then in verses 12 through 14, we see God revealed to us in His Son. So in verses 1 through, 1 through 6, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, 
The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. We see God revealed in nature. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So the revelation of God in, in creation. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they were, are without excuse. Men and women are without excuse for denying God's existence and His creative power. The visible things in this world, the things that we experience with our five senses, reveal the character of God. And God will hold all men responsible for their refusal to acknowledge what He's revealed in His creation. See, He's revealed Himself to us. See, we, re we receive a clear witness about the existence of God through nature. And if we reject it, we're suppressing the truth. The heavens declare so clearly the majesty of God and, and proclaim His wisdom, power, and His goodness. We see the work of His hands in the everyday things like the sunrise and the sunset. We see order and intelligence. We see a designer. We see God's power. The sun always rises and it always sets. You know, we don't have to worry about it. It's God's wisdom. It's God's power that does that. It's like, it's like a picture of the Son of God, the bridegroom of the church. Christ reveals himself to all men and his influence extends to all nations. He never fails. Like the sun, never fails. He's faithful. And all nations will be blessed by the revelation of God through His creation. And then in verses 7 through 11, we see the revelation of God in His Word. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than are, are they than gold, yea, more than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So, the psalmist moves from the general re revelation of God in creation to a special revelation to us through His Word, the Bible. God's Word speaks to us individually and it reveals God's character to us. And I think this is even greater than the revelation of God in creation because it's personal. 
See, God speaks to us in His Word. And it represents God's moral law and the nature of His holiness. So we really get to see the heart and the mind of God through His Word. It's special revelation. It's special because it's, it's relating to us. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So the teachings, the, the, the guidance, and the instruction of God's Word is complete. It lacks nothing. It teaches us about God's holy ways. And when it's spoken, or when it's preached, or when you use it to speak to others, it can convert the soul. People will be convicted, and they'll understand their need for God because of the law. It's perfect. The testimony of the law is sure, of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony, the truthful de demonstration of God's instruction. And it can be fully dependent on, 100% trustworthy. And it makes us wise. Not in a worldly sense, but in, in wisdom, in godly wisdom. God's Word makes us wise. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The statutes refer to what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to act in relationship to God. And in a society when there, where there is no right or wrong, God says there is a right or wrong. In a society that believes that everything is relative, God says no. My law is right. And everything else is not. And it says here, it rejoices the heart. We should have a rejoicing heart in the fact that we know what pleases the Lord and what doesn't. You know, it, it, it's, it's awesome that God reveals these things to us in His Word because we'd be guessing through this life. We'd be always wondering, is this pleasing to God or is this not pleasing to God? God's Word is clear. So we should, we should be able to rejoice in that. And then it says, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's directives, His instructions, not just the Ten Commandments, but it's entire, God's entire Word to us, represents perfection. It's pure. Something untainted. It's wholesome. And it enlightens the eyes. It opens our eyes. We discover our need for a Savior because of His law, of His Word. When we realize our sin, it's, it's eye-opening. When we realize, and I didn't realize it until I started to study His Word. And then it's eye-opening because we know we need a Savior. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear is reverence, the reverence of God. It's clean. It's a reverential view of God because of His law, because of His Word. And it's clean because it sends us to God asking for forgiveness. The Bible says if you confess your sin, He is righteous, He is, he is uh, faithful to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's clean, and it endures forever. 
The things in this world will go away, will fade away, but God's word lasts forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, verse 9. Judgments are the precepts of his word. We should never question God's judgment. They're always true. And again, it's not relative truth. It's exclusive. More to be desired than gold, yea, more than fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So there is a warning and there is a reward. Going against God's word should set off an alarm in our heads when we're convicted of our sin. It's, a, it's our conscience that God gives us. But there's also a great reward when we obey Him. The freedom of a clean conscience is a reward. The freedom of knowing that we're forgiven. The freedom of knowing that when we go to Him and confess our sin, that He'll cleanse us. And then the revelation of God in Jesus Christ in verses 12 through 14. Who can understand His errors, our errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So the right response to God's creation and to his word is to cry out to him for help. So that we can keep, uh, we can keep ourselves separate from the things of this world. Our desire to serve God must though move from our mouths to our hearts and then be demonstrated in our whole being that we may be acceptable in His sight. And then Psalm 20. Psalm 20, a prayer and a praise psalm, mostly recited before a battle to seek God's protection and His hand in the victory. And it's instructive for us. I think we can apply this to our lives. See, we go out each day to the battleground that is this fallen world. It's not the battle, uh, a battlefield like David went on about to, but I think that we can all relate to the fact that this fallen world is like a battleground to us as believers. And we can relate to that and we can invoke God's blessing and His guidance and His protection when we go out into this world. So in verses 1, uh, 1 through 3, to the chief musician, the psalm of David, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from, your sanctu from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Selah. So the people are calling on God for their military leaders. They're calling on Him for defense, for help, for strength, for attention, and for acceptance. See, but it doesn't have to be a military battle. See, we can call upon God for, for defense, for help, and for strength in whatever we're going through. And He'll respond. We can call upon God for His attention to hear our prayers, to hear our petitions. We can call upon God to accept 
us to accept the sacrifice of our hearts for Him. And then He says, May He grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill your purpose. Now this is not David's plea for God to just grant him any wish like a, like a genie would out of a bottle. But David is petitioning God for provision. And according to his heart's desire, which is according to God's will. In Psalm 34, verse 4, it says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. So our heart's desires don't come from our, from our own wickedness, because our hearts are desperately wicked, the Bible says. Who can know them? But our desires should come from delighting ourselves in God, delighting ourselves in His Word, following Him, being obedient to Him. And then our desires will line up with His desires. Our desires will line up with His will for our lives. And then He'll gladly give them to us. We'll fulfill our purposes. See, our purpose in this life is to live according to God's will. Our purpose in this life is to walk in line with His will so that our desires are lined up with His desires. Our desires are lined up with His will. And that's our life's purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation, verse 5. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now, again, this is a prayer for the military leaders going out onto the battlefield. We will rejoice in your salvation, David writes. Now, as believers, we can rejoice in the salvation that we have in Jesus. No matter what the odds are that are against us, we know that we have our salvation secure in Jesus Christ. And we can bring the banner of God out onto the battlefield. Now, the banners were those flags that, or standards that they would bring out onto the battlefield, depict, depicting the name or a symbol of their country, who they represented. But as part of God's army, we, we not only fight under His banner, but we're victorious because He's victorious. We're victorious because he is, He's the one we defend against the enemies of God. And God's more powerful than them. So our banner not only shows who we're going to war with, but it's also a protection for us. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed, David writes. He will answer him from His holy heaven with the saving strength of His right hand. And David's writing here that he's, he has confidence in the Lord, that He'll save him, and that He will answer his prayers. And that he has the strength to fulfill those promises. Now, the anointed here is the word Messiah. It's the same word that we use for Jesus Christ. But now he's talking about himself. He's speaking of him being anointed as the king. And the Lord saves his anointed. David's confident in that. You know, as children of God, we can be confident in God's salvation. And then in verse 7 it says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, 
but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. See, in the context of this military battle, David's saying, I'm not trusting in the things of this world. I'm not trusting in the physical things. I'm not trusting in the horses or chariots or the warfare that I have. I'm going to trust in God. And we can do the same thing. As we go out into our daily struggles, we need to have that perspective, not to trust in the things of this world, but to put our faith and trust in God. As we go about our battles, know that it's the Lord's battle, that the Lord will fight for us, then that we can give that over to Him, and He'll always be faithful. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You, Lord, for Your, for your Word to us. These Psalms that just, uh, God, they just uh, impact every area life, whether it's rejoicing.